mindfulness mode. You got to start today. If you wait every day, it's one more day that you haven't started. Hey, Mindful Tribe, welcome to the show. Today, we are going to be talking about addictions. And we have a highly sought after addiction professional with us today. She's a life coach, recovery coach. She's a wellness guru. And she blends talk therapy with positive change to assist her clients in unlocking their true potential. And she has been featured in books, magazines, radio, television for her work in this whole drug addiction field. I think you're going to totally enjoy this episode. She's she's just such a great upfront, kick-ass kind of person who tells it like it is. I'm here today with Dr. Callie Estes. I'm so excited to talk to you, Dr. Estes. Are you in mindfulness mode today? I am. That's fantastic. So Dr. Estes, what does mindfulness mean to you? So mindfulness means to me being aware of everything that's going on around you and being able to change a negative thought into a positive thought as opposed to attracting more negative. Right. Okay. Well, you know, we all want to have less negative in our lives. That's for sure. You've, uh, you've really made yourself well known as the addictions coach. How did you get into this work with addictions? So (laughs) I set out to be an FBI agent when I was in my late teens and twenties. Yeah. And I was studying psychology in college and I got an internship at SCI Rockview, which is a men's prison. And I wanted to work with, you know, the serial killers, like every good young budding FBI agent. (laughs) And the dean, the warden basically said, you cannot do that. You have to work with the addicts. And I thought, well, this is going to be boring. Yeah. Well, little did I know, not only was it not boring, my mentor was ex-CIA. So he taught me body language. And I got such good results working with the addicted population that I thought maybe I should study this. So I started to study it, and it kind of grew as a career. Very, very interesting. And then later, you married a junkie. Isn't that right? Well, sort of, yeah. So I... um. I started, well, I got out of working for other people, started my own private practice. Yeah. Uh, my husband's a touring musician. He's a drummer. Yeah. And during one of his road trips, a buddy said to him, hey, try this pill. Yeah. And he dabbled with alcohol and coke, but he wasn't really over the top. Mm-hmm. And he got addicted fast to uh, Oxy and Roxy, which led to heroin, which led to fentanyl, which led to a couple overdoses, a couple car crashes and a carjacking and a book called I Married a Junkie. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So you really had a challenge on your hands to deal with that, didn't you? Tell us a little bit more about how you how you continued to make this relationship work in spite of the fact that he was an addict. Well, it was rough in the beginning because I didn't know because I was traveling so much. Mm -hmm. So I have a signature product where I travel and I bring the entire rehab concept to the client. Okay. so. The first time I knew something was wrong, I was in Vegas working with a client that had a drug addiction, a sex addiction, and a gambling problem. So, you know, Vegas, there we are. Mm-hmm. And I called home to see how things were going, and it's 10 o'clock in the morning, and he sounded drunk. And I thought, that's odd. Mm-hmm. You know, and I called back and went to voicemail. And I didn't hear from him for 24 hours. Mm-hmm. So I had to call, you know, we were in a condo. I had to call the super to go up and bang on the door to see if he was alive. Mm-hmm. And he called me and he was very angry. And I said, what happened? He said, well, I just fell asleep. I'm like, it's been 24 hours. 
And he wanted to argue with me and he hung up on me. And I thought, that's not him. That's not normal. Right. And when I'd gotten home, he had pawned some of his musical equipment. And I kind of knew something was wrong. And I demanded he take a drug test. And sure enough, it came up with opiates. And I thought, oh, boy, this is going to be, you know, rough. So I made him detox and Mm -hmm. got him back on track. And again, I took a trip. And, you know, sure enough, the cat's away, the mice will play Mm -hmm. back at it. And I came home and all my jewelry was gone. And I said, okay, now we're going to cut you off from everything. All the bank cards, put all the stuff that was important um, in a storage unit and took a third trip. And that's when I came back to him crashing a car and ending up in the hospital. So it started to snowball. And I knew at that point, I can't do this myself. I'm too close to the situation. Mm -hmm. So I brought in a sober companion. I brought in a therapist. We started bringing a team into him like I would do my clients. Mm -hmm. And he did great. He had a big period of sobriety. And then his father died completely unexpected within 30 days. Mm-hmm. From the time he got diagnosed with cancer to the time he was dead was 30 days. Well, that, of course, was a huge relapse. So that's how we got the car jam. So that was sort of <laughs> the progression. But it was rough to watch your spouse go through this knowing I can't help you. Yeah. With all the tools I have, I am too close to the situation to do anything for you other than do everything I would tell my clients. Right. Restrict the money, take the car keys. I did everything I could think of to do. Yeah. Wow. That must've been so challenging. And, and so then tell me more, tell me what happened as you move forward. (laughs) So we, he got sober. We have a second book. We're going to come out called I married a junkie, the aftermath. So we can talk about what happened post first book, but he was able to get sober and stay sober. Um, Despite the fact of everything kind of going against him. And then when COVID hit, of course, my spidey senses peak of, oh, God, you know, because he's not touring, he's not doing anything, but he was able to maintain sobriety during that period, which is pretty trying for most people. Yeah. While most people are using and, you know, I don't want to say normal people becoming alcoholics, but sort of what's happened during that time period, he was able to, to stay sober. Wow. Well, and are you still married to him today? I am. That's fantastic. Because, you know, so many people, I'm sure, would not have made it through that challenge. But both of you did. So, fantastic. Yeah, you need to be commended. Yeah, now I know that your your style of addiction coaching is unique, and you've touched on that. But could you tell us a little bit more about what makes it unique? So, I'm a little bit different. I come from an approach with NLP, which is neurolinguistic programming, right? a little CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, a lot of coaching, life coaching, sobriety coaching, and more of a full well-rounded approach. So we do uh, the holistic stuff. We do acupuncture, massage. I take sugar out of their diet. I have a, an entire supplement line that helps the neurotransmitters in their brain reset. It's called Pro Recovery RX. And It actually helps them recover from the damage of drugs and alcohol. So I put this whole thing together. And when I work with a client, it's not about saying, you know, I have a disease that's incurable. It's more about thinking your addiction is a coping mechanism. You're using it for something, to get away from something. Whatever that something is, that uncomfortable thought, uncomfortable feeling, challenging idea, 
You want to get away from it. And it, addiction can be anything. I know a lot of people will say, well, I'm not an addict. I don't get it. Mm-hmm. And I'll say, well, everybody has something they do in excess that may be too much. And it could be anything. It could be shopping on Amazon Prime. It could be playing the little games on your phone, binge watching Netflix TV. That can be, you know, if you're spending four hours a night watching a show on Netflix, you might have a problem. So I treat everything that way. You know, habits can be good or bad. Let's see if we can make what's happening good as opposed to harming you. Well, this is really fascinating. And I'm fascinated about the, the fact that you, you take your clients off sugar. How does that help with your overall um, assistance in, in helping them with their actual addiction that they're working on? So sugar is almost the same chemical makeup as heroin. Mm-hmm. And it pings the brain similar to cocaine. So I treat it like the most addictive drug on the planet. And if you're reaching for sugar, you're getting a rush. You may not realize it at first, but you get addicted to it. Mm -hmm. And sugar's in everything, even peanut butter. There shouldn't be sugar in peanut butter, but there is in certain peanut butters. So I take them off the sugar. And what happens is it allows the brain to heal, number one. But number two, you're constantly pinging that dopamine with sugar. Now that's not happening. If I can get your body back to homeostasis, you won't be craving the sugar. Sugar and the opiate and alcohol all kind of go together. So you'll hear a lot of people say, well, I got off the alcohol, but my goodness, I can't let the little Debbie snack cakes go. Mm -hmm. That's because of the, the dopamine rush from the sugar. So what I do is I detox them all from the beginning. Now, if you're not craving little Debbie's, most likely you're not craving alcohol. Right. So we level out your dopamine. Well, this is fascinating. And uh, we've talked a lot about about sugar on the show. And I gave up sugar a long time ago. And, and uh, you know, like I know how powerful sugar can be and what a difference it makes when you let go of it. But what about uh, cannabis? Uh, that, what are the differences in how we deal with can- cannabis and, and uh, the addiction of cannabis? So I'm pretty controversial. I came out in 2014 as Mm pro-cannabis. And a lot of people said, well, you know, that's a drug. And I would say, well, so is sugar, but it's legal. Mm -hmm. And we kind of battled over that. But I would rather you smoke weed than anything else. Or take an edible, you know, with less sugar. Let's put it that way. Um, But I would rather have you do that than anything else. Because that is the least harmful of the mind altering drugs out there. So if you need that to calm down for anxiety, let's say, instead of Xanax, I'm 100% for it because it's all natural. Now, can you get addicted to it? Sure, but people talk all the time about bad side effects of marijuana and cannabis, and that's not accurate. Mm -hmm. The side effects come from dabbing and, and wet, which is sprayed on there. When you start getting into dabbing, that's 90% THC. That's not, you know, what's in a joint, basically. A joint should be 25% THC or less, depending on where you're going. But you're seeing these psychotic breaks and these addictions because of dabbing and then spraying the cannabis with wet, which is an LSD effect. That's where that's coming from. You're also seeing a lot of spice that people think is cannabis. 
which is a synthetic drug that's not for human consumption. They'll take it, and a lot of people will say, oh, he's doing cannabis. No, he's doing spice. That's completely different than cannabis. So when I get the calls for, well, my child's smoking weed, I say, well, wait a minute. Are they really smoking weed, or is there something else going on? Mm. You know, is it THC-based? You know, what what are we looking at? Is it CBD oil? Because that's even completely different. So I've always been pro which kind of put me in the controversial light a mm-hmm. lot with mm-hmm. that, but that's sort of how I how I work with it. Well, I hadn't heard of dabbing before. That's new to me. So um, maybe it's new to some of our listeners. Maybe you could tell us a little bit more of it about that. Sure. So when you grow marijuana, you have the mom plant, which flowers, right? Uh-huh. When you pick the buds and you start to prepare, you know, you cut them down and get everything ready for... Uh, drying and cultivation, some of the buds produce a like a waxy substance. Mm-hmm. That little waxy su- substance can get put into a ball and it can get cooked down to a liquid. Oh. When you cook it down to a liquid, it's almost like glass. It's hard as a rock. Mm-hmm. That is dabbing. That's about 90% THC. Okay. Then they'll put that in a, in a bong or a pipe or what have you and they'll smoke it. You'll know instantly. They are on a whole nother planet when they're on that. You know, their eyes glaze over. You can't you can't really talk to them. There's really a hard. Um, you just you really they're not there present at all, and that lasts for hours. Oh, does it? And so, have you helped people who want to get off cannabis? I'm sure you probably have. Yes, I have. Um, Mainly because their parents want them off cannabis, uh-huh. not so much them. You know, this younger generation of kids it's pretty much ingrained in what they're doing, mm-hmm. part of the culture. You know, when we grew up, I'm Gen X, our uh-huh. culture was drinking. You know, mm-hmm. it was, let's go do a keg stand. It was a big deal. Mm-hmm. You know, now they don't do keg stands. It's not a thing. So cannabis is a thing. Vape pens are a thing. So it's very different growing up so you're also battling that culture of what they use versus what we used now dr estes you were addicted to food you said tell us about this and how you dealt with it how you got to the other side so i was a foodie and then back then i wasn't i was in college and the dsm didn't diagnose food addiction as a thing Mm-hmm. So you either were bulimic, you know, binge and purge or anorexic. And mm-hmm. when I went to the counselor, she said, well, you know, you don't really binge and purge. You don't restrict. So you don't have an eating disorder. You're just fat. Mm. OK. So she sent me to the fat doctor who put me on Fenfen. Well, Fenfen was pretty awesome. I lost I went from 160 to 90 in a month and a half. Wow. That's so fast. I thought it was great. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> and I could still eat anything I wanted. Until I ended up in the ER with heart palpitations. Ah. And the doctor, of course, said, what are you taking? And I said, nothing. And he said, whatever nothing is, you need to stop nothing because it's causing your heart problem. Mm -hmm. And then they discontinued FenFen and they outlawed it. So like a good little addict, I went looking for the next thing. Mm -hmm. And I ended up doing speed. And six months later, back in the ER, different doctor. And he said, all right. Same problem. Heart palpitations, you're eating the lining of your heart. You're going to be dead in six months. And of course, you know, I was 23. I'm looking at him going, okay, what do you know? And he said, well, 10 years of medical school makes me smarter than you. And 
he's not wrong, but mm-hmm. I'm still a good little addict. So I'm going to say, you know, I don't think so. And he dropped the F-bomb. And that got my attention. And I said, uh-oh, so this is serious. And he goes, yep. So I decided to come off of that. But I didn't know what detox was. So I learned the hard way what detox was. And then I still had the food addiction. Then I had to learn how to handle that on top of everything else. So I ended up getting what I call sober from sugar and food on a yoga mat with a friend. And we started using yoga and fitness as a way to manage the emotions and the uncomfortable feelings. And then from there, it became, you know, let's get massage and let's do acupuncture and everything that could boost our dopamine naturally. I mean, back then, dopamine wasn't a buzzword like it is now, mm-hmm. but anything we could do, we did. And it started to work. And do you still use yoga in your life to help you? I do. Every day, like clockwork. I even do it with my clients. Fantastic. And what about meditation? Every day. I'm a little different. I don't meditate and ohm like everybody else. Mm-hmm. I kind of watch a little bit more, um, I don't want to say aggressive meditations, but I can meditate to speed metal. So my brain works that way. Well, tell us more. What's that meditation like? Well, if you have any kind of ADD or ADHD or your brain moves very quickly, it's very hard to sit and be still. That doesn't work for us. So we need something that keeps our brain distracted while we can relax. So if you listen to metal, you listen to rock, there's a great meditation. Um, that's even, it's funny, but it kind of works for my population. It's only three minutes and it's called F that meditation, oh. an honest meditation. And it's really good for people that kind of can't sit and, and quiet. So, and I teach my clients that not everybody can sit and do singing bowls and vibration meditations. No, Some people true. need to be walking. Yeah, that's true. Not everybody can do it. So where do we find yeah. F that meditation? Uh, if you Google it, I think the guy's name is Jason who did it. Okay. He's done a couple. It's really good. It's funny. I mean, for most people, it's funny and it's kind of calming because it's like, yeah, okay, he gets it. Right. Uh, that's really interesting. Yeah, there are so many different ways to meditate and uh, it's really important not to give up if you try a method and it doesn't work for you. So that's one of the things that you're proving with with this. So when you grew up, do you feel like you grew up very differently than a lot of people who maybe med- meditate in more of a mainstream way? Uh, when I, well... Growing up, there was no meditation. I mean, I almost Mm -hmm. say I was raised by wolves in my family. Mm. My father was severely bipolar, so he was violent. And my mother was just, you know, high-functioning anxiety, so she just pretended nothing was happening. So my sole goal was to get out of there as quick as I could. Mm -hmm. Um, And I left pretty young. But we didn't meditate. We didn't eat healthy. We didn't exercise. There was none of that. So... I had to kind of find and forge my own way um, through college. I paid my way through college and figured out how I was going to get where I wanted to go. And the minute I could get out of that house, I did. I was done. So life was kind of different. Wow. That whole thing sounds so familiar. That's very much like what I went through. 
That is really, really interesting. Well, I always ask a question about bullying because I've worked in bullying prevention for a long time. Do you have a story about bullying where maybe mindfulness would have made a difference? A story maybe about you as a kid or in your business or one of your clients? Well, when I went into private practice, Mm -hmm. so... (laughs) You know, I was bullied as a child because I was overweight, but when I went into private practice and I started my company, it, this is a male-dominated field for addiction. Yeah. And it's a boys' club, and they don't want you to come into their boys' club. And I had a very famous interventionist in L.A. who owns a rehab basically slaughter me online, called me all kinds of names, uh, that I was a fake and a fraud, and my company should be shut down. And I hit him up privately, and I said, what are you doing? Like, that's not professional. And he just wrote the nastiest letter to me. And then um, I was supposed to be on the Dr. Drew show. He wrote a letter to Dr. Drew to get me kicked off the show. Oh, wow. And he did the same thing with CNN and NBC. And I had to actually sue him to get him to stop. So a simple step back where he would have went, wait a minute. Maybe what she's doing is a good service and maybe she is legitimate. I just don't like her, (laughs) which is true. He just doesn't like me, which Mm -hmm. is fine. You don't have to like everybody. But the way he treated me was horrible. And there's only four people in this space that teach intervention. He's one of the four. And one's a woman. Mm. So it it was kind of like, well, why? you know, why? And then I realized it's market share. I was taking his market share. And he felt, you know, bothered by that. So I said, well, why don't you outmarket me? You know, it's business. Business is business. This isn't personal. But you can't behave. This is a grown man in his 40s behaving like this. So that in this industry is common. There's a ton of people that are just nasty and they treat you horribly just because they can. And, you know, when you get sober, you're not supposed to act that way. But they still do because they haven't managed their emotions and they haven't done the inner work, which is what I hit him with. And I said, you haven't done the inner work. You have this treatment center where they offer yoga and meditation and a labyrinth. You've done none of that. You know, you're preaching holistic rehab and then you're online doing this. Mm -hmm. Like it's a dichotomy, pick one, you know? And I kind of called him on the carpet because you can't do that. You can't be this spiritual being and act like that. Way to go. Wow, what a great story that is. Because a lot of people would have just been shut down by that, I'm sure. What was interesting, so I'm, and this goes back to my childhood, my father was violent. So my father called me every name in the book. And when this guy started calling me, you know, he called me stupid and, you know, the C word, the B word. And I remember when he called me the C word, I kind of laughed and I was like, well, there's really nowhere to go from there, Mm. you know? That's like, now what are we going to do now? And he goes, well, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, you kind of, you know, what, what are you going to do? And I said, that doesn't faze me. I grew up like that. You Mm -hmm. have to understand all I'm going to do is come back harder at you because that fuels my fire to push back, to show everybody who you are. So that's, that was the first four years of my company. It was one after another, after another, then the female interventionist came for me. And I said to her, you're in your 60s with a PhD. What are you doing online? And it's the same (laughs) stuff. I'm like, I don't buy into that. I'm not going to play that game with you guys. You know, 
it's just not what I'm going to do. So I persevered and persevered and persevered. And I finally broke that. And they finally left me alone because I've been in business 10 years now. And about two years ago, they finally just realized, okay, she's not going anywhere. Leave her alone and let her do her thing. Wow. Wow. That's inspiring to hear you tell that story. Wow. I'm impressed. Well, you've, you've written a number of books. You wrote the book, I Married a Junkie. You've written a book, The Seven Key Principles to Tap into the Wealth Inside You. Would you be willing to share a couple of those principles with us today? Sure. So the first one is called Eat Your Broccoli. Ah. And what that means is basically you need to come off sugar and junk food. You can't operate at peak performance if you don't feel good and you don't think clearly. So putting in preservatives and fast foods and sugar is going to cause your brain not to operate at 100%. Mm-hmm. So I always say you can't fix someone else's house until you fix your house. And that starts with exercise and wellness. And a lot of people, you know, they get the book and they're like, I'm not eating my broccoli. I'm like, well, you need to eat your broccoli because that's where it starts. Mm-hmm. You can't make changes and do good in the world if you wake up every morning and you don't feel good mentally and physically. So that's, that's the first key of, of being able to do different things. Um, another one, which <laughs> one of my favorite is, is money, uh-huh. knowing your worth, because people don't know what they're worth. They think, you know, I have this job and I make 40, 50, 60, $70,000 a year. That's all I have. And I said, well, what if you made 270? Oh, well, I can't do that. Well, why not? Well, I can't. Well, why not? What is your worth? What is your value that you bring to the universe? And maybe it isn't money. Maybe you can cook and you can make a feast, but you only do it for your family of four. What if you did it for a family of 10? You know, what is your worth? What do you actually bring? So that's another one. Um, One is perception is reality. Mm -hmm. If you think you're going to fail, you'll fail. And it's called the self-fulfilling prophecy. If you say, I can't do that. I'm too old. I can't do that. I'm not smart enough. And you don't even try. You've already failed. But what if you tried and it worked? So it's perception is reality. If you think you can't do it, you never will. But at least if you try, you could say, I tried that. It didn't work. Yeah. That's just a few. That's awesome. The self-fulfilling prophecy. We all live by that. And Thank heaven a lot of people live by that and, and become very successful because that's how they see themselves. Yeah, that's great. Well, you did the Recovery Coach back in 2017, that book, and then you did the Recovery Coach Workbook. Tell me about that and how that's been uh, helping people. So the Recovery Coach Workbook is the first and only of its kind. And it's got 45 exercises that I have been using with clients for the past 20 years. And I let everybody who has a class get a copy of it. I've given it to treatment centers and just said, hand it out to your clients. Because these exercises really help people get out of their head. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's one in there called Circle of Influence. And I always say, tell me who your five closest friends are and I'll tell you who you are. And they say, oh, they tell me their five closest friends. And if they're people that, you know, drink after work and, you know, sleep on the weekend and not do anything or they're not successful, you're not going to be successful. Mm. Your five closest friends should pull you up to the next level. So that's an an example of an exercise that's in there. Of course. Yeah. 
Well, Mindful Tribe, I recommend you check out the books. Check out the book Recovery Coach and the Recovery Coach Workbook and and these other books as well. I Married a Junkie and the Seven Key Principles to Tap into the Wealth Inside You. And you can check out Dr. Esta's uh, website at theaddictionscoach.com. So have a look at that. Now, as we move forward in the interview, Dr. Estes, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So just 30 second answers are perfect. The first one is this. Who is one person who has been a powerful influence for you and your life in this whole area of mindfulness? Dr. Wayne Dyer. Hmm. Everything in Dr. Wayne Dyer's books, I've been able to apply and use to create not only mindfulness, but mindset and abundance. Awesome. Awesome. How has mindfulness affected your emotions or how you deal with your emotions? Well, being mindful has been very helpful, especially in situations of high stress. So if you have a stressful event anywhere, you know, you're in target, the kids are having a meltdown. Your first instinct is to scream and yell and carry on. But if you take a deep breath and view the situation in a different light, it changes your action plan, what changes your outcome. But that starts with mindfulness. Yeah, it truly does. Let's talk about breathing. We didn't really touch on that yet. How is breathing uh, something in your life that is related to mindfulness that can help you? So breathing, when you take a deep breath and count to 10, that's how long it should take you to breathe in and breathe out. It gives you a space between you and what's happening. And it also calms all the organs in your body and it brings your dopamine and your adrenaline down. When you can do that, you can then function better and make better executive decisions than you would if your brain was firing real fast. Yeah, for sure. We've talked about your books. Are there any other books that you would recommend that are related to mindfulness? Dr. Wayne Dyer, Power of Positive Intention. Mm It's one of the best that I've ever read. I just love his stuff. Yeah, so powerful. Uh, Can you share an app that can help people in any way? with mindfulness. Sure. The Calm app, C-A-L-M, mm-hmm. 15 second rainforest. You just put it on your phone and it's literally a picture of rain on leaves or ocean or whatever picture you're, whatever thing you want to look at in there, 15 seconds or 30 seconds, which then brings your brain out of what's going on around you and gives you a chance to reset. Dr. Estes, it's really great to talk to you and to hear your expertise. But before we before we wrap up the interview, could you give a piece of advice for anyone listening today who may be feeling, oh, yeah, I'd love to be able to let go of this addiction that I have. What words of advice would you have for them? You got to start today. If you wait every day, it's one more day that you haven't started. So definitely get in contact with the professional or go online, find some help and get started right away. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us here on Mindfulness Mode, Dr. Estes. Thank you. All the best to you. Bye now. Bye. Hey, Mindful Tribe, do check out The Addictions 
www.kathycoach.com and uh, check out some of the books that she's written. I really enjoyed interviewing Dr. Estes. And, you know, maybe you are experiencing some, some frustration with addictions. And if so, reach out to Dr. Estes. Or if you resonate with me and you'd like to work with me, send me an email because I've been working with clients for quite some time and I, I really enjoy using the different tools in my toolbox, including hypnosis and coaching and helping my clients. So send me an email, bruce at mindfulnessmode.com and put coaching session in the subject line and it'll be a free coaching session where we can talk about how to make life better, make life different for you so that you can feel like a success. So with that, take what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.